This program is community service and is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice. Listeners having questions about their health should make an appointment to see their personal physician. Any opinions or statements made during the program are those of the individuals or physicians making the statements and are not the opinions or statements of the hospital. This is another edition of Healthy Conversations, the podcast series from Sierra Vista Regional Medical Center and Twin Cities Community Hospital. It is so important to provide care that is compassionate, equitable, and inclusive for all patients, including our LGBTQ community. Today, we'll be talking about how Sierra Vista Regional Medical Center and Twin Cities Community Hospitals have been really proactive about this. Here with us to discuss is Dr. Arthur Dominguez, Jr., DNP, Chief Nursing Officer at Sierra Vista Regional Medical Center. Dr. Dominguez, thank you so much for educating us today. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity for question. Of course. So let's get started by learning a little bit about this program that I've been hearing so much about. It's the LGBTQ Plus Healthcare Equality Advisory Council. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we started the LGBTQ Plus Advisory Council, which was actually started um, a little over a year and a half ago with Twin Cities um, and now have joined with Sierra Vista. So we have a market approach across the Central Coast um, in California. Um, our goal, our vision, better yet, is for um, for culturally competent and patient and family-centered um, care for the lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, questioning, or queer plus uh, community. Uh, we really have a mission and a charter um, to strive for the premier provider of healthcare services on the Central Coast. Um, and by doing that, we have various plans and goals that we have set in place, um, some of it being um, providing explicit and focused leadership from our hospital administration and team of the medical staff, um, becoming a public component, uh, proponent and perpetual uh, protector, excuse me, of all human rights, um, providing uh, training and education at both Service and Twin Cities, uh, both for the for the team members, the community, um, and and our staff, um, and then leveraging on expertise and perspective experts in the LGBTQ plus community. Um, the council consists of community members, healthcare providers, and both uh, team members of Sierra Vista Regional Medical Center and Twin Cities Community, uh, community Hospital as well. I can't tell you how important it is that a program like this or a council like this exists, um, especially in the time that we exist right now. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how long this program has been around? I know you said it started at Twin Cities, but tell us when it started there and why you feel it is so important for this community. So the LGBTQ plus advisory council actually started at Twin Cities uh, probably close to two years ago as they started their um, their adventure towards um, their healthcare equality index designation, um, at which point um, Sierra Vista, close to a year and a half ago, uh, shortly after I started at Sierra Vista, uh, we decided to start our healthcare equality index um, uh, journey as well. Uh, we found that uh, between the two hospitals, rather having two different councils focused on two different things, it made best sense for us to do a community and a, a an area approach since we are sister facilities. Um, the importance of it is to ensure that um, all, all people, um, uh, despite gender identity, um, whether you're gay, um, transgender, bisexual, what that uh, or, or what what that may be, um, have affordable and equitable um, health care. And our goal really is to ensure that we are treating all people the same, um, and that there is no discrimination, uh, both at the medical level, but uh, raising awareness and education in the community as well. Um, so we are uh, a strive to be a place for those who uh, may have some concerns about any kind of health care or, or um, 
uh, ill um, interactions or things that may occur at other organizations who may not have the training that we have uh, to feel comfortable and welcome at our facilities. Yeah, as mentioned, it's so uh, it's so refreshing to hear that there is a focused program on this, and it sounds like it's something that is measured. You mentioned the Healthcare Equality Index. Can you speak a little bit about that specifically? Sure. So the um, Healthcare Equality Index actually is through the Human Rights Campaign Foundation, uh, which honors um, and records facilities using LGBTQ plus inclusion. Um, to, in order to be and apply for the Healthcare Equality Index, there's a score, scoring criteria, which is broken down into four different domains. Um, one domain uh, consists of non-discrimination and staff training. Uh, the second one uh, is uh, patient safety, um, I'm sorry, uh, patient services and support. The third is employee benefits and policies. And the fourth one is uh, patient and community engagement. Um, and as you go through the scoring system, um, there was, last year I think there was a total of 626 different surveys that were submitted um, through um, through the Human Rights Campaign for the Healthcare Equality Index. And as years and years go on, they're getting more and more applicants. But the entire process probably takes, you know, it's a year's worth long of, of training and education and preparation. And the application process is... Um, it's beneficial in that it is very time-consuming because there's so much attention to detail in there, and um, uh, it, it takes the entire team uh, probably a few months to upload and ensure that we have all the elements and needed in criteria to meet our, our healthcare equality index um, goals as we strive to uh, be 100% with our, our scoring metrics at both organizations. Right. So if I'm understanding this correctly, it's kind of like this way to um, keep you honest about that constant conversation or uh, level of care that you provide with your patients. And it's a way to tangibly measure that. Is that correct? Our goal really is to ensure that the LGBTQ plus community um, uh, has a right and ensures that they are free from abuse, um, a right to be treated with respect, um, a right to privacy. Um, a right to uh, participate in their care equally, a right to visitations, um, and, uh, and, a, and an ability and right to be fully informed and, and to be active participants in their health care and to feel safe um, and comfortable in the care that they're receiving at both facilities. So our goal really is in an ombudsman ensuring if there's anything that were to come up that we are constantly advocating for LGBTQ plus uh, community um, and visitors that come and um, and see our facilities. Now, with regards to patient navigation, um, I am currently the transgender patient navigator at Sierra Vista Regional Medical Center. Um, I went to a three-day um, seminar, which by no means made, makes me a complete expert in transgender care, but it provided me a lot of, of information um, towards uh, uh, ensuring that we provide an affirming and comfortable place for transgender patients to receive their care um, at Sierra Vista Regional Medical Center. At which point, if there's any patients that would come up um, or um, visit Twin Cities Regional Hospital, they know that they can actually give me a phone call as well and I can help them navigate if there's any questions that are coming up. Yeah, I want to get into that a little bit more, but before I do, just specifically about an ombudsman or a patient navigator like yourself, is that something that an LGBTQ patient would be assigned on their first visit? Like, tell me a little bit about the process of how they're either paired or how the advoc uh, advocacy works. 
Sure. So um, if an LGBTQ plus patient comes in uh, and has a request for ombudsman, so we have various um, information and flyers, both our registration and emergency departments, main admitting, um, to share that there is an LGBTQ plus ombudsman. And if they feel like they would like to have an ombudsman representative, that's when they would get in contact with us. And then we would then um, show up and offer our services and support for them. Um, with regards to transgender navigation, if there's anybody um, who is in the facility, and it's, the point is for it to be a seamless process and the treatment should be no different than any other patient. So there shouldn't be a lot of, um, for lack of uh, better words, confusion or, or necessarily specialized care treatment because it should be the same way we treat every one of our patients. And so if there's questions that come up from team members, um, which is a majority of where the questions are coming from, of, you know, how do you know what do I call this person? Um, how do I um, how do I when I'm engaging with them? What are some things that I should or should not say? And it has nothing to do with really should or shouldn't. It it is um, making sure that we're using their affirming pronouns, uh, which we I will be touching on in, in, a, in a little bit. Um, but ensuring we're treating them truly with dignity and respect, and treating their medical reason for them being there, and not getting um, focused on other areas um, of their personal being. That being other uh, LGBTQ status. I think one of the most important things that you said there is that the care should be no different, right? There should be no confusion or distinction between um, care between patients and to make that as seamless as possible. So that's something that I really appreciated there. Um, talking a little bit more about yourself as a transgender patient navigator, um, I want to unpack the affirming pronouns because, you know, even uh, Myself, I have friends that are LGBTQ, they fall within that community, and I find it uh, difficult just to keep track because, you know, maybe at one part of their life they were referred to with uh, one pronoun and now they're referred to as another. It can be confusing. So maybe talk a little bit about that and how you train your staff. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> the reason why we like to use um, um, aff affirming pronouns versus preferred. So. Um, the old methodology used to be uh, preferred pronouns, which gives somebody the option of using a pronoun or not. An affirming pronoun um, would be, it removes that option and lets people know that this is what I'm affirming and these are my pronouns. So uh, for an example, um, I am, I, I would, it's not abnormal for me to introduce myself in group settings and say, my name is Arthur Dominguez, um, I'm a gay cisgender male and my affirming pronouns are he, him, his. Um, breaking that down, um, so cisgender um, means that it, it, I identify um, with the gender I was assigned at birth. So when I was assigned at, when I was born, I was assigned male at birth, and I still identify, and my pro, and my pronouns are he, him, his. So I still identify as a male. So I would be cisgender. Transgender would be opposite. So um, may have been somebody who was assigned male at birth, by identi but identifies as female, um, transgender. Um, Affirming pronouns, he, him, his, these are my gender identity of who I identify as as a male. So um, there is um, he, him, his is often for, um, for, for males. There is uh, she, her, hers uh, for females. And then um, there is they, them, theirs. And these are the plural pronouns, which these are probably the ones that people have the most difficulty with. And um, these are those who are, are outside of the... Uh, gender binary, um, and in the state of California, we actually have a non-binary um, uh, identification on our driver's license that started in January of this year, which is gender X. 
Um, so if, if as people are looking through driver's license, they may start seeing um, M for male, F for female, and X, which is non-binary, um, which of those ones they don't affirm as either male or female. Um, so we would refer to them as their um, or them um, versus he or she. And it's, <clears throat> excuse me, it's really important that we don't make an assumption. Though I have the appearance, the exterior appearance of uh, of, of male, um, I, it's important for somebody to to ask. And by by someone raising and saying with their affirming pronouns, it shows that you're uh, an ally to them, and they may feel more comfortable sharing what those affirming pronouns are, and um, or asking them. Um, you know, my name is Art, my affirming pronouns are he, him, his. And then that gives them the opportunity to respond back and say, you know, maybe his, their name is Mark and their affirming pronouns are she, her, hers. So then I have a, a respect and an ability to then communicate and ensure that I'm using pronouns that are comfortable to that person um, in that particular setting. Uh, and then I'm, I'm constantly showing respect um, during our communication and conversation. Absolutely. I mean, thank you so much for the education and just the terminology around uh, even just what an affirming pronoun is, because it's something that um, I really haven't heard kind of categorized in that way. And I've even noticed with some of my friends, they've started putting it in their uh, their affirming pronouns in their email signatures. Um, so I know it's becoming uh, more of a thing. And I think it's a, like you said, um, it's a sign that you are an ally uh, with that person when you're able to uh, affirm what their pronoun is and, and kind of state and also ask what theirs are. Um, you know, in wrapping up here, uh, there's a lot that we can talk about, but uh, I want to get to uh, PEP, which is what I'm reading about, is the post-exposure prophylactics, and I want to ask you why it's important to make the LGBTQ community aware about this protocol. Yeah, so this is really important, and it was actually very exciting um, for us to implement at both facilities. Um, so uh, first dose of post-exposure prophylaxis, or for, um, for short, is, is PEP. <clears throat> is um, to start is now available in the emergency departments of both uh, Twin Cities and Sierra Vista Regional. It normally consists of three anti-HIV drugs from due to two different classes. Um, and so the importance of this is um, for uh, twofold. So for anybody who, who, who fears they may have had a high-risk exposure, um, whether that be a protected sex where maybe a condom broke or somebody who had um, that uh, instance where they had unprotected sex and uh, found out that the, that the person was HIV positive, or um, for healthcare providers who work in high-risk, high-exposure um, potential areas uh, where a splash or a needle stick, now a splash or very low rate for HIV transmission, but somebody who may have gotten a needle stick from somebody who's HIV positive or somebody who's high-risk who may, be HIV positive, this now allows us the opportunity to give a first-dose post-exposure prophylactic treatment where we give a one pill um, in the emergency department, uh, at which point, which is followed um, with a regimen depending on the exposure and the physician who's prescribing um, over a certain amount of days um, to ensure, and, and not necessarily ensure, but to help um, protect and uh, as an effort to not become HIV positive. And so it really is important to get these, um, the first dose. Uh, goal is really should be within 24 hours, but less than 72 um, is, is ideal. And the sooner we have that first dose of post-exposure prophylactic medi uh, medication um, um, administered or, or given orally, 
um, it decreases um, the risk of then seroconverting from um, HIV negative to HIV positive. So um, it can be, um, though living with HIV and AIDS um, is a lot different now than it was in the 80s and people are living long, full, healthy lives, um, it, it decreases the risk dramatically of seroconversion from um, an HIV negative status to an HIV positive status. Yeah, I was reading about that, and it's so good to know that you have this measure in place um, so they can live that happy, healthy life and not go from negative uh, to positive there. It's amazing how far uh, technology has uh, come. So, you know, I just want to thank you so much for your time, Dr. Dominguez, on educating us on this important issue of LGBTQ plus healthcare. Is there anything else you want to leave our audience uh, with before we uh, sign off? I would just say, you know, thank you for your time and thank you for um, um uh, the conversations uh, this week is rather exciting for us, being the last week of March. Um, uh, we it's the LGBTQ plus um, uh, health awareness week, um, so we're really focusing on raising um, health and awareness for our LGBTQ plus community. Um, obviously, throughout the year, but uh, a heightened focus and attention this year uh, in ensuring that um, those are getting their um, their care and treatment, both at the primary care and then just knowing that we are there to treat them. Um, uh, equally and without bias at either facility. Absolutely. And it's been a wonderful and very informative conversation for me personally. So thank you so much. Everyone else, for a referral to a board-certified physician or just to learn more about all of this, please call the Sierra Vista Regional Medical Center and Twin Cities Community Hospital Physician Referral Line at 866-966-3680. My guest today has been Dr. Arthur Dominguez. I'm Prakash Chandran. Thank you so much for listening.